This is Pentecost Sunday. Some people don't even know what that means, but it's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Passover season. Jesus instructed his disciples to stay in Jerusalem, to not conduct any out, out services, no preaching, no miracle services, nothing like that. I want you to go to Jerusalem, go to the upper room. I want you to wait there until the Holy Spirit shows up because he said, he who has been with me, when I get to the side of my Father in heaven, I will send him to you. And the same one who was with me will be with you. The same Holy Spirit who raised me from the dead will also be with you. And of course, in Acts 2, we note that experience happened and the church exploded and went out into the streets and preached Jesus. And thousands came to know Christ. So, Father, we are grateful for the Holy Spirit. You sent him to the church to empower us, to enlighten us, to give us direction. May we never forget his importance to our success, to any victory we have. Holy Spirit, I need your help. We all need you here. So I pray you'll reveal the truth of the word to us. You inspired it. You've anointed it. Now reveal it to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to teach you three powerful truths about the Holy Spirit and their application for your life. Three powerful promises, missions, and assignments the Holy Spirit has in your life and in the life of our church. So in John 3, that's the text, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, so he belonged to the Sanhedrin. He was top shelf brass, so to speak, in the religious community of the Jewish nation. And he comes as a Pharisee, Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night, Nick at night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Hmm. I wish every denominational leader and every pastor would look at this and teach this. He was telling Nicodemus the road to heaven. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So as I've looked into these passages, I'm compelled to comprehend with you what Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit. After all, it doesn't matter what tradition teaches us or some popular related theme might teach us about the Holy Spirit. The question we need answered, what did Jesus teach about the Holy Spirit? Every church, every denominational attendee ought to know what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. Whether you're Catholic, Protestant, doesn't make any difference. You ought to know what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Every person who claims knowledge of God ought to know what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we are not conscious of his presence and of his mission and of his purpose. So we're going to take a look at what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. In Calvary Christian Center, 
We need to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you, if you don't have a smartphone with version app on it, and you're not live on that and taking notes, I need you to take notes. You need to take notes about this. And if you've got no paper, use one of our tithing envelopes. Some of you don't use them much anyways, but you can use them for that. Take some notes on it, because if you ever get full of the Holy Spirit, you'll become a giver. Number one, Jesus taught the presence of the Holy Spirit will bring inward change. Say inward change. He taught in my text, when the Holy Spirit arrives, he begins his mighty work with an inward change. Now, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do to be born again? And Jesus began to speak about what the Holy Spirit does on the inside of a person. Understand this. You are a spirit living in a body. You have an eternal spirit that looks just like you living inside of you. Your spirit is eternal. Okay? One day your body will die. One day your body will be laid aside. But your spirit will live forever. You will live forever. And you're a spirit living in a body. Your spirit is what is lost until he or she meets Jesus. And you can't meet Jesus unless the Holy Spirit introduces you to him. It's the spirit inwardly in you that needs addressing. That's why legalism is so wrong. You cannot change a person from the outside. You cannot rely on rules that say, well, this is how you get to heaven. Or you have to speak to this many people in order to qualify to be saved. Or you have to stop these behaviors in order to get to... Listen to me. You create a list of do's and don'ts and attempt to try to fulfill every single one of them. A person has to be inwardly changed before they can manifest outward change. The work of the Holy Spirit is an inward change. So the good news is that frees you. When the Holy Spirit arrives, he changes you inwardly. Your nature starts to change. Your desires change. Who you are changes. Everything about you starts to change. And until you've had that encounter, you have not been born again. You might have your name on a church roll. You might have been sprinkled at baptism. You might have been confirmed in a church. You might have been dedicated as an infant. Hear me. It doesn't matter. You must first experience an inward change. And if you can't describe when you were inwardly changed, you haven't been. How many are witness when the Holy Spirit arrives in your life? He starts changing you inwardly. He removes the anger. He removes the bitterness. He removes the lusts and redirects them for godly purposes. He removes rebellion and disobedience, and he quells your addictive lifestyle. He doesn't start on the outside. He begins on the inside. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, the person alive inside of you is lost without God. And if you and I had left our bodies before we were born again, we would have gone into eternity forever lost. So what's so amazing, there's an inward change brought by the Holy Spirit. God himself sent him to you for a purpose, to restore your life. And it doesn't happen by joining a church, being dedicated as a child, being born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. It will not happen without him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
So Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit will change us on the inside. Holy Spirit will turn you and transform you into a new creation. You are a new man, a new woman in Christ Jesus. You'll receive inwardly the nature and the righteousness of God. You receive the holiness of God, the purity of God. He begins to change our nature. And when the Holy Spirit arrives, his first work is inwardly. The very first thing he starts is from the inside. Number two, when the Holy Spirit arrives, he brings you an upward worship. Upward worship. First, he begins an inward change, and then he continues with a combustible change. And he grants you divine communication, and you get a new language without the benefit of Rosetta Stone. Don't you love that? The Holy Spirit's presence will not harm you. The Holy Spirit will bless you. The Holy Spirit will not drive you off the deep end. The Holy Spirit will not make you weird. Don't blame the Holy Spirit. You were weird before the Holy Spirit. You'll be weird after the Holy Spirit. When it's truly the Holy Spirit, he just raises you up higher than you ever dreamed you could go. When the Holy Spirit arrives, he brings great power. John 4, you have the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus is seated at the well waiting for her because he told his disciples, I'm going to Samaria, I have an appointment. And the appointment was this woman at the well. So she arrives at the well for her predestined encounter with Jesus Christ. And he asks her for a drink of water, which immediately breaks all the protocols in the Middle East. Okay? And out of that exchange, Jesus begins to describe her inward need. Now listen. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God, and this passage just amazes me, this this statement. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. Wow. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Wow. Then she responds. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? So she begins to Think this through a minute. And then she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus probably wanted to respond like this. Yes, I am. I'm greater than your father Jacob. I got into a wrestling match with him, and I whipped him. And he went off limping. And I'm fine. Now watch Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. Watch her response. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly, in that one statement. Now notice, Jesus does not recognize the relationship of living together as a blessed covenant. I'm just showing you in the Word. God's into covenant, and God's into marriage. And it's got to be biblical. So they can say whatever they want. That won't change what God says. It does not recognize the relationship of living. Jesus drew a line of distinction 
even though there had been multiple marriages, if they were living in covenant, he recognized it. He said, you have been married five times. And he made note of the fact that they were in a marriage covenant. She was in a marriage covenant five different times. But he said, the one you're living with is not your husband. So he qualifies this between the covenant and living together. And her response, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) You've got to love this, right? The transparency of this. And Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God wants you to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So not only will the Holy Spirit give you an inward change, the Holy Spirit, upon filling you with his power, will release an upward worship like you have never experienced. And there's one thing that those who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit will struggle with. Praising and worshiping the Lord openly. And when they first encounter worshipers, sometimes they feel just a little bit uncomfortable if they've never been around that before. It's difficult for those who are not filled with the Spirit to worship freely. So you attend a church where they don't practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. Generally, they don't have much free worship. Yeah, there are a few because they are filled, and some of them are filled. They're there because of a program or a specified ministry, or they have some friends that attend. In general, when the presence of the Holy Spirit is not practiced, there is not free worship. The same is true individually. Now, I'm not saying you can't worship. I'm not saying you don't worship. I'm saying you're not as free as you could be to worship. And there are just as, they are just as born again as any of us. They are as called to serve as any of us. They are just not as free to worship. When you ignore the Holy Spirit, you're not as free to worship. There is a dimension in the Holy Spirit. When he's welcomed, he releases an inward and an upward worship immediately. And there's a liberty that arrives when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. For wherever he is, there's liberty. And before you experience the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you get around people who are spirit-led worshipers, and if you're not experienced in that or never, you feel like you're a little underdressed, like, how do I fit into this? And if you remember when you first came to a church like this, those crazy people all around you who are now your friends, they would raise their hands and used to think, dear God, what do I do now? I'm telling you today, there's a worshiper in you that desires to be released. There's a worshiper inside of you desirous to be free. And I recall waiting in the presence of the Holy Spirit as a child and being in worship services and watching the Holy Spirit at work. And I'd never raised my hands before, but I'll never forget. I was overwhelmed by his presence. And as a part of that overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit, I automatically, my hands just went up. And I began to worship the Lord. Upward worship sprang up out of me. I didn't care then, and I really don't care now. If the President of the United States shows up, come on in, I still will praise the Lord. When the Holy Spirit is present, there's upward worship. comes out of us. Out of you flows. Now, how many recall when you received the presence of the Holy Spirit? Didn't he release in you upward worship? All of a sudden, you just wanted to love him. Inward worship, inward change, upward worship. 
And some people, you know, they're just not comfortable because they've not experienced his presence or not aware of the value the Holy Spirit has in our lives. And relegate him as to some nebulous, whatever, ghost. No, he's God, the Holy Spirit. And so you see things, you know what to do. Should I put my hand up? Should I put it down? Do I get it that high or this high? Do I clap? Here's what's wrong. You need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And I promise you'll never attend a church service the same again. You'll walk in and the worshiper and you kicks in, jumps right in, transitions right into the flow of the Spirit. The genius of God, he fills us with the Holy Spirit, and he requests of us that we worship him, knowing we don't automatically give him glory that he deserves, knowing we allow ego and education and our status to keep us from giving God the praise, inward-focused instead of upward-focused. But then the genius of God, he says, Let me fill you with the Holy Spirit, and out of your belly will flow a river of worship. You'll worship me. You'll worship me in spirit, and you'll worship me in truth. For God is spirit, and the only kind of worship he receives comes from our spirit. So when you begin to worship him, understand, worship is a supernatural phenomenon. Worship in spirit, not just sing songs, because it's a supernatural phenomenon. Because people will say, well, didn't we have worship today in church? Well, I don't know, because I don't know how you define worship. Did you engage and touch God when you worship? Did you sing songs and sing songs, or did you, from singing songs, transition supernaturally, worshiping the Lord, spirit to spirit? Did you engage with the Lord? That's the question. An inward change and upward worship. I'm so thankful for a congregation that engages the presence of the Holy Spirit, contrasting with a congregation that does not. The quality of worship, quality of worship, difference between the two, the quality of worship. I mean, you can have professional orchestras and bands and beautiful music being made, but, and it sounds fabulous, and you can say of that, that was a great worship service, but did we engage? Did we engage the Holy Spirit? Quality of worship. They're just as saved as we are. They're going to the same heaven as we are. I just don't know what they're going to do when they get there. Okay? Do you reckon God will have segregation for the quiet ones and for the noisy ones? What do you think? (laughs) The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and he answers the question, and thousands of thousands saying with a what? Say what? I can't hear some of you. You're still trying to play quiet in church. With a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. Not going to be too many quiet ones in that bunch. And I heard, as it were, this voice of a great multitude, as the sound of what? Many waters. It's the sound of mighty thunderings. And they were vocal, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Wow. Say, that'd be a little loud place, wouldn't you think? Thank the Father for the Holy Spirit who brings inward change and upward worship. And when he releases a prayer language into your worship, your entire experience of worship will soar to new places. That'll take you places you've never been before because he, he encrypts your language, a language that no man has ever learned. You haven't memorized it. You haven't had Rosetta Stone to help you. 
He gives you a language that only he understands. So when the devil comes parking himself to see what's going on between you and God, he cannot, dis, he cannot describe, he cannot distinguish, he cannot take the encryption and decode it because it's between your spirit and God and you're having a private audience with the Lord. Thank God for a church that's not a funeral home, dead and dried up. It's wonderful to be able to worship the Lord. You're in a church where the Holy Spirit is welcome. And the Lord loves the sound of freedom. He loves it. The ability to release worship is a miracle that only God by the Spirit can give you. But instead of being caged up, you're in a place where you know and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Inward change, upward worship. And then in John 7, on the last day, the great day of the feast. They're all in Jerusalem. There's a big feast going on. And, and, and people are, are gathered and, and they're wondering, what do we do next? And Jesus gets on, onto the Temple Mount and gets to the highest point of the temple. And on the great day, he stands up and cries out loudly. And he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning what? The Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Wow. So number three, there's an outward flow. When the Holy Spirit is in you, he expresses out of you. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. There have been those who have warned people to stay away from Pentecostal churches. They knew you were in here. Oh, boy. If they pray in a prayer language, don't read their books. Uh, The entire New Testament was written by those who prayed in prayer languages. The authors of the New Testament were in the upper room speaking in unknown tongues. Really? Oops. Well, maybe you ought to throw that away too. I don't know. know. There's an outward flow. And notice that Jesus said, if any man thirst." Calvary, this is the key. Thirst. You have to hunger and thirst for more. You have to desire more. You have to want more. Amen? I don't care who it separates me from. I don't care where I don't get to go because I believe this word. Well, pastor, I want the Holy Spirit's presence, but I'm not sure about this tongue thing you talked about. Well, when you buy a pair of shoes, the tongues come with them, right? Okay. But in, instead of ignoring or removing the tongues, you keep the tongues in your shoes and because you, you're going to have a better walk. The same is true of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're going to have a better walk if you keep him active, outflowing in your life. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. It's between you and God. It's amazing. Now, your prayers inspired of the Holy Spirit speak directly to the Lord, to his heart. The Holy Spirit transformed this bashful, shy young boy into a man of God unafraid to speak the truth of God's word. An outward flow of divine communication welled up inside of me. An outward flow of divine worship came out of me. An outward flow of divine miracles and healings because the Holy Spirit took up residency. And hear Jesus' words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus' friend 
who gave him power to do. He went about doing good and healing all who were sick to, uh, and oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Holy Spirit was with him and anointed him. And what, well, he was anointed. Why? Because Jesus describes why. And this is for us. To heal the brokenhearted. To open the prison doors of those captive. To set at liberty those who are bound. To preach the gospel to the poor. And that's the mission of the church. We are anointed to do the same things that Jesus did. And I'm grateful for the power and the person of the Holy Spirit in my own life. I have experienced these three blessings of the Holy Spirit in my life. As a boy, there was an inward change. My dad and mom knew it. My family knew it. My friends at school knew when it happened. And when I went working with my dad during summers and and when I was home from college and all those occasions of high school in the summers, the meat cutters in his business would look at me, walk by, and go, eh, the preacher, the preacher. Now, I never preached to them. I never yelled at them. I never threatened them. I never condemned them. But they knew that something had happened in my life, and my language was different, and my style of living was different, so they just named me the preacher. There's the preacher, okay? I, I, there was a transformation in my life. I knew upward worship. I spent hours of worship at the altars at our church. I would walk several miles to get to church. If my parents weren't going to get there early enough, I'd take off and walk to church because I couldn't wait to get into the building and be in the presence of the Lord. I experienced also an outward flow. I hate to admit this. I was the CA president. Now, most of you don't know what that is, and I'm not going to tell you what that is, okay? I was the CA president for our church which means I led student ministries in our church. I was 16 years old. I didn't have a credential. I didn't even know what that meant at 16 years of age. But I led the student ministries. There were 60 in our group on average in attendance at our youth services when I was a kid. I was the leader. I didn't know it, but I was pastoring kids when I was 16 years old. And incidentally, youth services were not on Wednesday nights over in a the gym. They preceded our Sunday night services. And we started our youth services at 5.30 in the afternoon on Sunday. And the evening service on Sunday night was at 7 o'clock. Okay? And because we owned this huge old Methodist church that had been, we purchased, and was probably one of the largest Assemblies of God churches in the country at the time, it was a huge building. We filled that thing. They had a basement. And our youth services were downstairs in the basement at 5.30 in the afternoon. It's kind of like the size of the gym, but downstairs. It was a huge, giant building set well over 1,000 people. And so at 5.30, we gathered, and, and I'd have to do everything to prepare for a service and get it all together. And there was often such a move of the Holy Spirit in the youth service at 5.30 that they'd already begun their 7 o'clock service at night upstairs. And while we were at our altars, they started their worship service. Then we would finish up later. They'd be finished with their worship. And here we would come flying up the stairs, 60 of us, charging into the auditorium, on fire, lit up, service in progress, and ignite the whole evening service. We'd charge for the front of the building. And I recall some Sunday nights, we didn't get out of there at 11 o'clock at night, sometimes midnight. And there were revival services at our church that went on for weeks, night after night, overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Alan Tommy Reed, Ernie Esklin, William Branham, Gordon Lindsay, who, who has relatives in our early service, by the way, who founded Christ for the Nations ministry. He was a part of the original Voice of Healing 
that, that came out of the Oklahoma area where great evangelists that traveled our country lived. Our services left us in the presence of God, on the floor, worshiping God. The Holy Spirit forever impacted my life, shaped my life. Then I recall the same Holy Spirit working and doing a job of wonderment on my son as a young boy. He'd be at the altar worshiping, weeping. We've got video of that. It's amazing. A little boy at the altar with his hands up and tears running down his face, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he took a journey into the far country in his teens for a short period. And God got his attention, and God will get yours. And he came to himself. He became very ill in his rebellion against the Lord. And like Jonah, he cried out, help. And he returned to the Lord. God started a restoration in his life. And then he went, because Donna and I had to come back to California, and we took him over to my mother's home in Connecticut. And ha, devil, that was a big mistake. <laughs> because her home was full of the presence of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And every kid in her home, all of us that were in her home, man, you knew the Holy Spirit was present in that house. And that's the way it was in mom's house. They, they filled his heart with God's word because we left him a big case of C.M. Ward reading the entire Bible. And he listened to all of those cassettes, whatever those are now, and, and every one of them. He learned, he learned, he heard the word, filled his heart with the word, then he returned to California. And I watched his reentry, I call it, into the calling of God and ministry. Hours in the presence of the Holy Spirit. A great service. It was amazing. He was drunk. That's the only way I can describe it. He was drunk in the presence of the Lord. That was the only time I ever wanted to see my son drunk. He was drunk in the Holy Spirit. And I've watched that DVD several times. Every time I go back and revisit it, I relive the amazing power of the Holy Spirit to save, to deliver, to restore, to impart His power, to restore the call of God. Amazing! Amazing. The work of the Holy Spirit brings about your salvation. He never leaves you from the moment you're born again. And I'm convinced from the Scripture there is a further work of the Holy Spirit, a baptism in His power. There comes this exhilarating experience, byproduct of His presence, you walk in his presence, his power begins to change the way you live out your life. He will overwhelm you in a classroom unexpectedly. You'll be filled with joy. And where did that come from in the midst of this storm? You'll weep and wonder why. You'll give yourself completely to God and realize you have this special relationship, unique. The purpose of his power in your life is to reveal Jesus in your life and become his witness in this world, to acquire an enablement to apply the word of God, to speak boldly about who Jesus is to you. Our children need to see and experience the power of God manifested. They need to see that Satan is defeated at the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And whether you want to acknowledge it or not, there's a battle raging in our culture. Just turn the news on. Your mind and your willpower cannot defeat the devil. You have to acquire the power from on high if we are to defeat this adversary in the 21st century. And the way the enemy is attacking your homes and your marriages 
our community, our culture, the foundations our fathers gave us, your children, even the will to live. And I quoted that statistic from the DOD. Between the active duty military and those who've been active but now are inactive, came out of the war, war on terror over the last 10 plus years, combined, those two groups were losing 22 of them a day to suicide. The devil plants hopelessness. Jesus plants hope back in us. It takes the supernatural endowment of God's power to live the victorious life that God designed for you to live in our present world. And I want as many as possible to know there's a God who loves you, a God who will help you. And I want more than anything else for our day is an outward flow. What we're doing even tonight and the rest of the week is an outward flow an expression of God's love for people because the first freedom fighter is my father who fought for our freedom and he still loves those who fight for liberty that's why his son said no greater love than this as a man that what he lays down his life for his friend say Holy Spirit thank you for an inward change say it say change me change me from carnal to spiritual Thank you, Holy Spirit, for upward worship. Say, I worship you today in spirit and truth. And Holy Spirit, release in me the river of outward flow. Come on, stand.